Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. Go through a lot to get to it. <laughs> uh, it's no big deal. Actually, I've been asked on podcasts so many times and I generally say no because it seems complicated. But then when uh, uh, Janice, I guess a mutual friend asked, I figured I'd try it with you guys and see what happens. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Janice. <laughs> Jake, thanks for coming on. So um, just to be respectful of your time and the fact that Zach has to kind of get out of here within an hour, we're, gonna, we're just going to get into this. stuff. So tell us, so you're in Burma. Can you just give us a, like a, just a five-minute synopsis of what's going on with you, and then we can get into you know this stuff with the, uh, the myopia stuff, because I think it's fascinating. Oh, well, what's going on with me in, in what respect? You know, what brings you to Burma? You know, what are you doing out there? And, uh, and, and then kind of a little bit about how you got into this, uh, this myopia correction uh, sort of business, I guess. Well, 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 Burma is kind of a long story unto itself. Um, basically, my wife is from here and we have a kid here and we lived all over the world elsewhere, but she wanted to come home. So this is my contribution to the family happiness. And uh, I, I've been vagabonding for the last well over a decade. So for me, this is just another spot to check out. But it's definitely something else because right now I'm connected to you from my phone's internet at the only decent hotel an hour and a half away from where I actually live. So it's, it definitely has some infrastructure challenges still. Yeah, I would imagine. So you, you, are, you are officially our first guest from Burma. So that's, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> well, and it's just part of the time. Like you just caught me at a moment. Normally around this time I'd be kite surfing in Vietnam usually. And I'll be elsewhere in Asia and then somewhere in Europe. Most interesting. interesting. So let's, you know, because, uh, you know, we were directed your way just, just because it was such a fascinating thing. And so can you talk about myo? what is myopia for the people that, that don't know what it is? And then we can get into some of the causes and, and, and what you're doing to, to treat that. Sure. So myopia is nearsightedness. It's the condition for most people where they experience having to wear glasses because they can't see clearly at a distance. So that affects the large majority of people in the developed world, at least. And you say that in the developed world, is there some, is there some reason for that, that we, we, we say developed world? Is there an etiology for that that's different in the, you know, perhaps against the undeveloped world? Uh, I like your questions. Uh, it, it definitely is because a big part of the development myopia is, is two things. One is capitalism and the other is the larger need and availability of close-up vision. So jobs in the adult world mean you usually have to stare at a computer screen all day. And also then in your time off when you're just doing whatever else, most people are spending a lot of time in front of screens. And so, 
you know, my understanding and, and uh, you know, my background is an orthopedic surgeon. So we had a limited time studying the eyes, but, you know, my understanding with regard to, it has to do with the shape of the eye largely and, and, the, and the different, different shapes that it takes is how you sort of regulate near and far vision to some degree, the shape of the lens. Can you talk a little bit about how that changes and what maybe the pathology might be that contributes to people developing nearsightedness? Sure, absolutely. So there's two aspects to refraction. Refraction being where the light focuses in your eye. One is a long-term one, which is the shape of your eye. And actually, when we're all, when we're babies, when we're really young, we're, we're uh, farsighted. Our eyeball is too short, so we can't see things that are close to us. And as our eye develops through observing our environment, the eye elongates to a point where we can see both near and far well. And that part of the eye, this axial length, they call it, the length of the eyeball, self-regulates throughout your lifetime. So while you, when you're very young, the, that stimulus is really active, it continues throughout your life to adjust. That's a longer-term part of your vision. The short-term, immediate part is when you look at something close versus something far, there's a lens in your eye that's moved by something called the ciliary muscle. Muscle. It's a circular muscle around the lens in your eye that shapes the lens, and it's tense during close-up and relaxed at distance vision. So those are the two pieces that make up tuning your eye for, for good eyesight. So why does, you know, why does the eyeball, you know, the eyeball, I guess, why, do we, why, are, why don't we regulate that so we can just look back and forth you know, what's, what's going on where people need glasses? Is there, what's the chronic situation there? Is there anything and I'd like, Yeah, I, I really like that you're an orthopedic surgeon as background because I think it puts a lot of things into more context where there's a lot of other people where the, the I like your questions basically because you're understanding the, the underlying biology, which is a lot of what I talk about because I like for people to understand what's going on before they take any possible action. Because when you go to the optometrist, they tell you, it's a genetic defect, your eyes too long, too bad, you need glasses, the end, right? And conversely, when you go on the internet, unfortunately, there's a bunch of just eye exercises and eye vitamins and stuff that exists also without explanation. So whether you go to the optometrist or whether you go online, you're not really getting insight into what, what happens with your biology, exactly the questions that you're starting out with, which is what I really hope more people do because you get to the answers if you ask at What's the causality? Like, how does a biology work? And what went wrong with the biology for me to be nearsighted? So, and, 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 and another reference point, which I think is brilliant and genius and I love very much is Google Scholar. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Scholar.google. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I use it all the time. Yeah, it's, it's, that's the first thing I go to whenever it comes to anything, well-being or health or biology. Instead of just going to Google, uh, for those who are not familiar with it, scholar.google.com gives you largely search results on clinical studies. So instead of getting some marketing hype on the general internet, you can look at actual studies and get a better picture of what's really going on. That's it. So what happens? And when you're saying pathology, um, what I want to get into is your eye is not really broken. There's not really anything wrong. So the first thing that happens is a thing called pseudomyopia. P-S-E-U-D-O. Uh, if you search Google Scholar, pseudomyopia, more popular scientific term is near-induced transient myopia. It's kind of long, but basically near-induced meaning it happens from close-up. 
transient, it's temporary, and myopia, of course. So what happens at first is that that circular muscle in your eye is tense when you're looking at something up close. You don't really have any like uh, sensory feedback from it, so you can't feel it. But the closer you're looking, the closer you're focused, the more tense that muscle gets. And it's not really designed to look at something that's a fixed focal plane, something closer in front of you for many, many hours at a time. So that muscle eventually spasms. It just locks up. So if you're staring at your screen for four hours and then you try to look at a distance immediately, that muscle is now kind of locked up in close-up mode, right? And if you're looking at something 30 centimeters away from you and now you're looking at something that's 20 meters away from you, it might look blurry. But that's all it is. Initially, pseudomyopia or near-induced transient myopia. If you put near-induced transient myopia into Google Scholar, you'll find 10,000 plus search results. Yeah, I mean, I experienced that. And, and unfortunately, you know, I spent a fair bit of time looking at screens and, and, and like we all do these days in a modern society. And certainly when I, you know, look up from my screen and try to look far away, it, it, it definitely is blurry. I think we've all experienced that. And, uh, you know, but you say that that's really a transient thing. But, you know, at the same time, we have people that, you know, they just they just need glasses to see far or they can't see at all. And so why are, you know, like I said, is there something... Is it just the amount of time we're spending staring at, you know, reading close up, staring at screens? Is there something else in the environment, in the biology, perhaps even dietary related that, 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 that sort of causes this? Well, so there's, there's multiple factors, but the biggest one is you generally start with pseudomyopia. For most people, some people, of course, like just as with anything, there's illness, there's conditions, there's genetic stuff. But in case of myopia, overwhelmingly, it's you're looking at your screen too long, right? Or kids, right? Like for, for, for most people, a generation ago, my generation ago, myopia mostly started in the teens because that's when we went to school, right? So now we're sitting in front of books all day. It's different now. Myopia starts earlier now because now they put little kids in front of screens and have them watching cartoons. So this sustained long-term close-up focus starts much earlier now than it did a generation ago. But basically, it's really easy to track it back. So my generation, I'm in my 40s. For most people, myopia starts in the teens. And what happens is you're studying a lot. You're sitting in front of books a lot. And you don't even notice that anything's wrong because at this point, it's just a little bit of a focusing muscle spasm, but it happens every single day, right? Like every day, every day, every day to the point of where when you look up, you're not locked in close up, but you're kind of in between. That muscle doesn't fully relax to give you completely clear distance vision. If you went in the woods for three days and just went camping at that point, when you just have pseudomyopia, you'd be fine, right? But what happens instead, they send the kid to the optometrist. And the optometrist does nothing wrong. They're trained to look at your visual acuity. So they generally put you in a dark room. In a dark room, you notice any uh, refractive error at the most, right? They, a lot of times, have a projected chart. You're, you're nervous to begin with. You're only there for a moment. They put on the eye chart, right? They, they put the foropter in front of your eyes, the thing that, that, that has lenses loaded in it, basically. And then they ask you, can you see better this or that way? And what they basically do is load about one diopter's worth of correction into that machine. So now you're looking at the eye chart in the dark room while you're nervous after you've been studying every day. And when he loads that minus one diopter, you will see better, right? 
some people actually even with perfectly fine vision, if you give them a little bit of minus, they will see very, very small letters at a distance even better. Hey, so Jake, that, let me, Jake, let me just sure. interrupt you here because many people might not understand what you're talking about when you say diopter. Can you, can oh. you give us a quick little explanation on that? I, I, I apologize. So a diopter is the, the, the strength of your glasses, basically. It's the amount of minus correction. It's the amount of change that the light will be moved back in your eye for the lens. So a low diopter, like a minus one diopter, is a very low amount of diopter. And interestingly, and this is also a very good question, is a diopter is just distance to blur. So it's basically how far can I see before there's blur? It's a simple formula that converts that distance into a diopter. So literally when you, your glasses say minus two diopters, it, it's equal to a distance that you can see clearly. Perfect. Okay, so you say so you so the kids go to the the optometrist. They they knock them down. You know, one diopter. They 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 look better. Maybe they say, "Here's some glasses for you." Is this what we're getting at? That's exactly what we're getting at. And and the way that 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 industry, the retail part of that industry works is basically, you going to an optometrist in most cases means going to a shop that sells glasses, right? Like you're not going to a doctor. You're not going to a hospital. You're going to a mall. Like literally in most cases, in many cases, you find the nearest optic shop in a, in a shopping center or a mall. And it's a place that when you walk into, it's filled with glasses and in the back is a little exam room. So just to like, people are really indoctrinated to, to believe because it says, potentially says doctor. A lot of times they're not doctors or medical or because they call glasses prescription, we're automatically subdued into not looking at it as an experience of being sold something but trusting this institutional authority that tells us there's something wrong with us. You know, I look at a lot of things. I frame a lot of things I think about, you know, in an evolutionary frame. And, you know, we really think about reading as a, as a relatively new, you know, I mean, reading for sure, staring at close things a long period of time. It's not to say that prehistoric man didn't look at things close up. I'm sure they did it from time to time. But, you know, you think about how our modern environment has dramatically changed in a number of ways, but but vision is is, is also one of these things that's dramatically uh, affected by this. I'm sure most humans, for most of our evolution, spend most of our time outdoor, you know, preferentially looking off in the distance. Is that am I am I imagining that, or is there something to that? Well, that, that, that's definitely right, and you can see by the biology of the eye, by its design, it's it's primarily designed for distance vision, right? Like when you're practicing distance vision, the the ciliary muscle, that muscle in your eye that controls focus is relaxed, right? It takes no, biologically, it takes very little effort to use distance vision, and it takes a lot of effort to use close-up vision. So while we're definitely designed for close-up vision, um, that ciliary muscle, we get about 20 diopters worth of range, like a huge amount of close-up ability and distance ability. But when you exercise that close-up ability, you're challenging the muscle. Right, like you, you can't do this in a relaxed state. Hey, Zach, what? Because you spend so much time out running. Zach, I don't know if you know, Zach is is a world record holder for the hundred mile run. So he spends a lot of times out running in the distance, and you're not reading while you're running, I assume. So <laughs> how are your how are your eyes doing, Zach? Because myself, I have, you know, I'm a little myopic. I, I've got about a twenty forty vision. You know, I'm fifty two. I don't need glasses to, to to function, but it still kind of pisses me off. You know, because I, I think I'm going to live forever and I'm invincible. So I don't like the fact that. 
I, you know, I've got a little bit of difficulty seeing distance. We can get into uh, how to fix that stuff in a second. But Zach, how do you, what's your vision like? Yeah, I actually have a question that might be relevant. So thanks for Jake coming on and, and helping us out with this. Um, I, yeah, I have good vision, I guess. Um, I haven't been to the eye doctor in years. And part of that's just because it's been good enough that I haven't felt the need to. But when I was younger, I went to the eye doctor because I had had some uh, some like blurry vision, and they diagnosed me with uh, I, I guess a situation where like one of my eye muscle, like I guess from my understanding, you have like six main eye muscles in each eye, and they told me one of mine the muscles were weak, so that was causing like this uh, this issue with the way my eyes lined up, and it was causing that blurry vision, and it made sense to me at the time because like. I would be fine during the day and then it would be like near the evening when I get tired where I start to see more, more blurry. Um, so in my mind, I was connecting dots like, well, yeah, that those weaker eye muscles are just really tired right now and it's uh, amplifying the, the issue. Um, but, you know, understanding kind of how muscles work, my, you know, my next thought is like, well, should I be able to train those in any way to strengthen them? If they're just weak, shouldn't I be able to get them strong enough? And I've always kind of thought about it, but it, not, not to the degree where I really did anything about it because it's never been that big of an issue. I can usually catch it and just kind of, you know, fix it on my own without actually wearing glasses or contacts around. But my other kind of point of reference has always been like with footwear is, uh, you know, people will get all these foot issues and they'll, they'll go into the doctor or the podiatrist and they'll be told like, oh, you need this corrective mechanism in your shoe or you need to have this sort of thing. And I always thought that was kind of strange too, because like, you know, minus like a birth defect, like if you had a, a weird abnormality in your, in your foot that prevented you from being able to walk or run, that'd be a very detrimental situation, barring modern society. And what I ended up finding with that even is like a lot of it is just, you know, putting all these corrective mechanisms in place that cause muscles to atrophy even further and things to weaken. Uh, and it's more of an issue of like, if you find yourself in that situation, then you need to strengthen these side, these, these things rather than try to put a crutch on them and just live with the crutch. Yeah. And, and, and to jump in there. So the, the extra ocular muscles, the muscles on the outside of your eyeball there, they move the eye around. So they're set completely separate from intraocular muscles, the muscles inside your eyeball that provide changes in focus. So the, the issue you're talking about, Zach is, is different from myopia because and this isn't my area. It's just something that I've read about here and there. And people ask me once in a while is a different issue. Right. And, and, and I can't really comment on that because I don't really genuinely know enough about it. The only reference point is when people read online about eye exercises, like rolling your eyes and moving your eyes to improve myopia, that doesn't work because the, the, the muscles on the outside of the eye are in no way connected to myopia or the vision uh, acuity as far as is your ciliar muscles concerned. But that sometimes happens when one eye just kind of wanders off, like there is something off with the extraocular muscles, especially when you're tired and it takes an effort to refocus that eye in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seemed like most people, they would just do it like intuitively. Whereas for me, when I get tired, I would notice the blurry vision and then I'd have to consciously think about recentering my focus and um, that was pretty much the extent to it. You know, I had glasses for a, for a while when I was younger, but I've, I've since kind of just, uh, moved away from it and I guess more or less corrected it as well as I can from, a um, 
you know, just an acknowledgement standpoint, but you know, it is interesting too, when you look at kind of like what we were talking about before with uh, you know, where there's money to be made with glasses, contacts and that sort of thing. And um, you know, you'll go in and, and try to get a new prescription. Uh, you know, my wife wears contacts and, and she'll go in and they'll say, well, you haven't had an eye exam in X amount of months. You need to sign up for another eye exam, which costs you know, <laughs> X amount of dollars. And, you know, we were, we went in once and they told her that they said they could not even sell her the prescription that she had unless she got an eye exam. And, you know, my wife's a lawyer, so she, <laughs> she knows what she can and cannot do. And, uh, you know, she said, no, you can give me my prescription. I want, I just want that data. That's information that I should have. So the, uh, the person behind the, behind the counter gave her the prescription, just went home and ordered it online. Um, but yeah, you know, there does seem to be like a, a situation where when you get far enough down, uh, you know, any pot- potential money-making side of things that that starts to play into. And, you know, we start to try to encourage a little extra stuff here and there, and it ends up being a little overkill in some situations. Sure. And I, but by the way, when I was a kid, I also had the shoe insert things because uh, my parents took me to a podiatrist, I guess it's called in English. Mm-hmm. And he determined that my feet were too flat. So I had to, I was a mess as a kid. I was wearing glasses. I had these shoe inserts. I was just, it was no good. No mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Some of that's really interesting. It's like, I mean, you can have situations where I think like an insert or, uh, you know, or an orthotic is, is necessary, but there's also a lot of just muscle weaknesses. I mean, essentially we're putting casts on our feet with shoes. So um, the level of cast you put on there can really atrophy muscles. And I think a lot of people just find that, you know, they've been in shoes pretty much their whole life from, you know, very early on and that weakness in those muscles can cause that collapse of the arch and stuff. And it's, it's funny cause we're, it's modern of society. No one wants to spend the time to re-strengthen that muscle after years, if not decades of atrophy. So they're like, Oh, we'll just put a wedge in here. We'll put a, an insert in here. And, um, really, I think, you know, the answer is let's, well, let's strengthen those muscles. And if you still need something from time to time, fine, but, um, why not be as strong and robust as you can get before taking some of those measures? Hey, Jake, yeah, and and me, I, hey, Jake, I, I no longer wear any of those things. I don't wear shoe inserts. I don't wear glasses. I don't wear anything. Hey, Jake, before we get into how the heck do you fix myopia? And I know that's, that's kind of your deal here. How did you get interested in it in the first place? I mean, you know, it's what made you become a myopia guru type guy? I mean, how did, how did you fall into this? Um, and, and by the way, the guru thing is kind of ironic, sarcastically meant because I'm neither a doctor nor a guru. And I encourage people not to trust, blindly trust any title, right? Like that's why I love Google Scholar. You want to do your own research when it comes to something that, that is important to your long-term well-being, do research. Don't look for a cult of personality. Don't look for a title. So when I, I call myself, for anybody new here who ends up going to the site, I call myself iGuru, but there's obviously no such thing. So the, the way I got into the whole thing is it's been well over a decade now. I was at minus four point something doctors, pretty high myopia, high enough to where, for reference, if, if you take off glasses at minus four something and you put them down somewhere and you forget where you put them, you're never going to find them again. People listening that have higher myopia know this. So you're basically blind as a bat, basically. <laughs> yeah, and and I used to swim competitively, so I basically had to memorize where my locker was, and it was just really awkward. I mean, was, I used to play water polo, and as, as my eyesight was getting quote unquote worse, 
just the ball became this increasingly large yellow orb and I just trained myself to aim for the middle of the orb when catching it. It was rough. But I put up with all that because my parents were both doctors and I very much believed that I was just broken. You know, I mean, you, you, all these people have, have authority and you trust them. And the way they tell you that you're just a mess, you don't question it. And I didn't question it. I got into finance and I got fairly lucky. So I ended up being able to sort of retire, do my own thing. And I've been traveling for many years and I was in Bangkok. I remember trying to get a taxi with my minus four something glasses at night. And there's a little light on the taxis and I couldn't see. It's either red or green. If it's free, it's green. And I couldn't see that light. And it was like, man. So I went to an optometrist, which again is a shop full of glasses for sale. And they said I needed minus five doctors and I had astigmatism too. And I, I was looking at the thickness of my existing glasses and they were getting pretty thick. And I was a single guy chasing girls. And I was just, I reached a point and this is, I'm just being honest. Like I'm not some great person. I was just like aesthetically and functionally, I've had it. Right. And I asked the question again, like why, why is it getting higher? Right. Like I'm not, I'm not a kid anymore. Like, why? And they just, they didn't have an answer. And that was somehow the way they shrugged at me where the Western side, there's, they're usually more, they have a more likely sounding answer with something that just confuses you that you don't understand. But over there in Thailand, they were just like, Oh, we don't know. Right. And that's when I had it. I was like, I'm not buying it. I'm just not doing it. And then I went on a long and confused saga of trying to figure out what was going on. And because I was traveling a lot, I was, uh, I was in Italy. I remember next and there's an optometrist, an old guy, super old guy who, who was telling me that the whole thing was caused by glasses and I shouldn't wear them when I don't need them. And that really got me into the rabbit hole. And then I, I just, as I traveled everywhere I went, I went into every optic shop I could find, started reading biology books and eventually I figured out, basically what was going on, but I didn't know how to fix it, right? Like glasses cause your increasing myopia. So back to our original story of the kid going to the optometrist is the one diopter, that first diopter that you get, the low correction glasses, when you take them off, you can still see clearly up close. Those get you onto this roller coaster of increasing myopia. Most people don't stay at that minus one. And the biology of that, do you want to get into those kinds of things? Do we have time for that? Yeah, Jake, if you got, yeah, we've got, we've still got quite a bit of time. So yeah, I think, I think that's kind of fascinating stuff. Yeah. So, so what happens is the act, the length of your eyeball determines whether you can see clearly because the, the light hits the lens, right? The lens shapes for close up and distance vision and it, it shapes the light to where it comes to a point on your retina, which is in the back of your eye. Uh, for anybody listening on, on nmyopia.org, start here page has the details of how that works. Or you can just look at uh, any kind of YouTube video or biology lesson on the basics of the eye. Retina, the, the retina, the part that collects the vision information, it's actually part of your brain is at the back of your eyeball. So the light has to traverse from the front of your eyeball where the light enters to the back of your eyeball to your retina. And your eye tries to be the exactly right length to where the light properly focuses on the retina, right? Now, when that muscle is locked up in close-up mode, even though you're trying to look at the distance, the light focuses in front of your retina, 
that's where you get in a little bit of blur. So it's like at a point just before your retina and then the light starts spreading out again. So you're seeing a little bit of blur. If that muscle were to relax a little bit, then the light would move back far enough to focus on your retina and you'd be fine. But if you're not letting the muscle relax, you can put a low diopter glass on your eye, in front of your eye instead, and that moves the focus back also. So it has the same effect. You can still have a locked up ciliary muscle, but still have clear distance vision because that minus lens just moved the light further back in your eye to hit your retina. Does it make sense with words? Because yeah, I don't, I, I, I understand it. You know, I understand some of the refraction. I, you know, I had, a, you know, I had a physics course and, you know, I understand. Of some course. Of no, I mean, just in, in the sense of, do you think that makes sense to the listener from a I, verbal yeah, I think explanation? So. I, I think so. We, we have a pretty smart audience that I think that can do this. Now for a word from our sponsors. This episode of HPO podcast is brought to you by a company named Fat Snacks. That's Fat Snacks with an X. Fat Snacks is a company that makes a cookie that is keto, low carb, and high fat. They use ingredients like almond flour, coconut flour, and butter to make a soft bake cookie with one to two net grams of carbs and eight grams of fat per cookie. It comes in flavors such as chocolate chip, lemon, and peanut butter. This personally is a, an option that I've used in the past when I'm traveling, when I'm in a situation where I might be busy and on the go for quite some time and just there's a scarcity of what I would consider high quality food options. This is a great thing that's easy to pack and bring along and get you out of a pinch in a situation like that. Uh, I also see this as a really great option for parents with children who want to send them to school, to practice or to a friend's house and don't want them to overdo some of the more traditional options that are sugar and vegetable oil based cookies. Uh, if you'd like to check out this product, please head over to their website at fatsnacks.com and with the promo code HPO, you can get 5% off your first single order or 10% off a subscription order. Also, if you get a chance, head over to Instagram and Facebook and give them a follow or a shout out at Eat Fat Snacks and let them know that HPO is very grateful for their support. Now, back to the show. Let's get into... Uh, you know, how do you fix this now? I mean, how, how, like, you know, let's, let's use my example. I'm 2040. Uh, I struggle to see, you know, signs from real far away. I, I, you know, I can still drive without glasses. I can still watch TV from across the room if I want to do that. I do spend probably more time than I should staring at a screen. But what, what, what would a guy like me do? And, 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 and you know, you, with your case, you know, at negative five diopters, I mean, that's a huge correction that had to, had to happen. So how does, how do you, how do you fix this? So two different things. Your scenario where you're not wearing glasses yet is, is quite a bit different from my scenario where I had high minus diopters. If you don't wear glasses yet, in a lot of cases, it's still that pseudomyopia, that near-induced transient myopia. You're spending a relatively excessive amount of time in close-up and that muscle is just a little bit locked up, possibly, right? Like that's, that's, the, that's a likely possibility. The thing you can do for that is... I call it active focus just because there is no term for this otherwise, is challenge your eyes. If something is slightly blurry, text, I always start with text because the funny thing about a brain is, right, we don't read text, we remember the image of the text. So it's a reference, right? Like you know what the word house looks like, 
do you, do you have you have that picture of the word memorized so if you see the word at a distance on a on an advertisement if it looks blurry you know it looks blurry because you know what it should look like clear there's a there's a mechanism that allows you to clear up some of that blur that you kind of have to find on your own it's it's i call it active focus i have a whole big list of ways of trying to find it basically you look at the blur you blink you it just sounds kind of silly, but it's almost like you want it to clear up. And once you find it, it's for some people, they already know how it works. Some people, it takes a while to find it. But once you look at something and you blink, don't blink super hard, just blink to reset your eyes. It clears up a little bit. That's the stimulus you're looking for. And if you, if you do that consistently, if you make a habit out of trying to clear a bit of that blur, that will, quote unquote, improve your eyesight. So if you're 20, 40, you, you, you cut back on the screen time, you increase the distance a bit. When you're up close, if you see any kind of blur at all, you move back a little bit, blink at it, try to clear it up. Always try to keep, remember, the closer you get to the screen, the tenser your eyeball is. So if you can, if you can get away from, if you can use your computer instead of using your phone, you're already better off because now you got 60 centimeters instead of 20. So your, your focusing muscle is a lot less tight at that 60 centimeters than at the 20 centimeters. You also notice if you look at your phone for three hours and then try to look at a distance, it's going to be blurrier than if you look at your computer the same amount of time. Uh, lighting makes a big difference, right? Like natural light, much better. You can see You'll, you notice a difference if you're looking at something, if you have a little bit of myopia that's a little bit blurry up close, it'll be less blurry if you're looking at the same distance in good natural light, right? So generally increasing the distance, finding that active focus where you, you build a habit of challenging your eyes, right? Like you find the active focus and you just do it and again and again and again. The first month, it's kind of like something that you have to remind yourself to practice, but after that, it just becomes part of what you do you see a text that's blurry to distance and we live in a world where it's easy license plate and street signs and all that stuff you just blink at it okay it's clear now that's all you need uh, some people are really into like plus lenses and that gets into another big topic that's like reading glasses that increases the blur at, at close up right so if you if you put on a plus one pair of glasses right now you'd see a lot more blurry doing close-up so you could challenge yourself past that to see more clearly, right? That's how you get to like, if you're 2040 and you want to get to 2010, people use that trick. But that's kind of double-edged sword because that can also get you into something called presbyopia. Like when you're older, you're, you're, the lens hardens and you start having a harder time with close-up. So I was actually just going to ask you about that. If the, cause you know, you can go to the, just the, probably the grocery store even and pick up a, like a $5 set of basically just magnifying glasses on a, on a glass lens or on a glass frame is like, what is that doing? Is that helping hurting or combination of both? It's, it's, and again, and I, I probably should have started with this whole thing. Like I'm not giving medical advice, like from what, we're discussing here, I'm not discussing any medical conditions. It's a, the eye myopia, it's just a refractive state, right? It's where it's the, the length of your eyeball and where the light hits it, which the length of the eyeball adjusts according to its environment, right? So there's nothing genetically or otherwise broken and you're not sick. Myopia is not an illness. And that's why I, I, I usually make fun of the word prescription and doctors and all that stuff is because it's, you're walking in a store in a mall that sells you glasses and they use the word prescription to make you not think of this as a sales process. 
right? Like, so the plus lens is mainly for people that are older. The lens gets harder. So when the lens is harder, it's more difficult for the muscle to, to move the lens for close-up, right? Because the lens is, it is not as flexible as it was. So now you can't see as close as clear because you're trying to see closer. The muscle has to get tenser to shape the lens more. The lens got harder because you're older. doesn't really want to shape well. So you can't see close up well. So the plus lenses do the opposite, right? They move the light further towards the front of your eye, which is where you want it when you're in close up mode. So, so reading glasses help people that have a little bit of a struggle with seeing up close well. The problem with those is the same thing happens. If you stop challenging your eyes, if you see a little bit of blur and you could clear it up, right? You could, you could not use the crutch like you said, Zach, you'd be fine. But once you start wearing those reading glasses, then you need stronger reading glasses. And you really don't, but you're like, oh, this would be more comfortable after a while because your eye adapts to that also, right? So when you're older, plus lens use, I, I caution against it because it can start you on that road, which you don't want. But I get a ton of parents that use plus lenses on kids, right? Kids' arms are short, so the book is close in front of them. That muscle is really tense. If you put plus lenses in front of them, it's like adding distance, right? It's the equivalent of making the book further away, basically. If you put plus lenses on a kid that doesn't really have myopia yet, but is starting to have a little bit of blur at a distance because that muscle is getting locked up. So you put plus lenses on, plus lenses on the kid. A lot of times it helps with reducing that strain during the close-up. But I generally don't, like, I'm not a huge fan of the plus lens thing. Like, the internet for some reason now has gotten into this plus lens therapy bit. So people just think there's a quick fix, right? Like instead of challenging yourself, instead of like actually having to work on it, people are always looking for what pill can I pop? What lens can I put on? What thing can I do that I don't have to put any effort in? So for anybody who's just casually looking at this stuff, don't just start wearing reading glasses. You know, if, if we're trying to fix myopia, you know, and, and I know I've seen people that will advocate, you know, wearing a plus lens and then looking in the distance to make it more blurry and make it quote unquote more challenging and then trying to do maybe what you're talking about, the active fo focus, you know, through those lenses. Is there any rationale to do that or is that still uh, something you disagree with? It's, I mean, it's, it's basically if you're getting some blur challenge, right? Like if you can find any text at any distance outside that, that is a little bit blurry, you got what you need right? Like, it's just like if you're, the, the, the stimulus is there, you don't need more at that point. It's kind of, it's human nature somehow to look for a shortcut, right? And it plus lens therapy sounds great. And I get a ton of email asking about this for some reason for the past year or so. And I usually say, look at what it does. And do you need it? Right? Like, if you don't need to put on the extra 50 pounds on the, your weightlifting thing, to get the stimulus and why do it? Like it's not gonna make you that much bigger, stronger, that much faster, right? So plus lens just reduces you, the distance that you can see clearly. Kind of funny actually, and I usually tell parents this who can't visualize their child's myopia. If you wanna know what minus two diopter myopia looks like, and you have no myopia right now, put on plus two diopter lenses. That's the same result. Like the amount of blur that you see with a plus two is the same as somebody with minus two to optimiopia. So if you want to play with plus lenses, I would do it just a small bit at a time. Don't leave them on during close-up. Don't leave them on if you're not challenging your eyesight. If you're older, if you're, you know, your lens has been hardening, 
you don't want to wear those and then six months later realize that now you can't see up close without them, right? Like that's the big, big if with plus lenses as you get older. What is, um, you know, for, for the average person that has myopia that, you know, there's no true biological damage to the eye. It's just a matter of refraction and, and, and correcting, you know, length, length and shape of the eye. What is a, the time frame it would take for, you know, and how much time would be, would you need to dedicate to correct this problem? You know, just if you had to put it, if you had to put something on a program, what would, you know, would it, would it be spend, you know, an hour a day staring at, at distance things or how does that work? So what I found over the years, and I reversed my minus five to optomyopia, and I went the long way, like, because I didn't know what I was doing. There was nothing out there. I read the Bates method books. I read eye exercise books. Back when I started this, there was internet, but there wasn't good internet. There wasn't Google Scholar. There wasn't all this stuff. So I went to physical libraries a lot. So I really took the long route on this. What I found since then, it's been well over a decade. I've been dealing with thousands of people you know, the Myopia website's huge. Last year, we got over a million some odd sessions. So we've got a ton of data from a lot of people. And the very common rate of improvement is 0.75 diopters a year. So a little bit less than one diopter a year is the very commonly normal rate of improvement. And the thing I found on my long road is exercises don't work because the amount of time you'd have to do them. Like if I have minus five diopter myopia, it would take me like six years to get back to 2020. No way is anybody doing that amount of exercise for six years. I mean, some people do. You two guys would because you're <laughs> way cooler than us. But, <laughs> but most people won't do exercises, right? So one of the first things that I really tried to figure out was how do you do this without exercises, right? And what, what we kind of touched on, and it's kind of hard to summarize all of this in, a, in one podcast, is habit building, right? The thing that improves your eyesight is super, super, super simple, is a little bit of blur at the far end of where you're looking at. So when you're up close, like if you're in front of your computer, you never want to use your distance glasses. Never, ever, ever. I'll touch on that more in a second, but you want to use a slightly reduced amount of correction that lets you see only clearly to your screen. Screens at 60 centimeters, generally speaking, it's a diopter and a half less, very generally speaking. You put a diopter and a half less glasses on, you still see clearly to your screen, but blurry past that. But if you sit back in your chair, there's blur. That's all you need for close-up, right? Like as you're working, you sometimes check yourself, you just move back a little bit, ah, there's a little bit of blur, I'm good blink, clear it up. That's all you need, right? Then you need to limit your close-up time a little bit. Like I, for one, I don't really work more than three hours at a time without taking a break. Because I know that my, my own ciliary muscle and for a lot of people just kind of after three hours, you're starting to push it. And then you really want to get some distance vision time, right? And now eventually you don't want to do this right off the bat. But once you got stuff figured out, you want to slightly reduce your distance correction right? To where maybe you're at 2040, like 2040 is, is, can be a great starting point where you get a little bit of blur challenge, like your world isn't perfectly clear at all distances and building that habit of not letting blur be blur, right? When you see text, when you see a license plate and you can't quite read it, take the time, try to read it, right? You do that for a month, it becomes automatic and you just do it. And the only thing that you need to improve your eyesight is that stimulus challenge. 
right? You need to limit your close-up. You need to kind of check your ciliary muscle. Like in the morning, for example, you look outside your window and you find something that's clear, that's just barely blurry as a reference point. And then you look at it after you worked for three or four hours or if you're at an office, same kind of thing. If that same thing is more blurry now, you locked up your ciliary muscle, right? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta get distance vision until that muscle's relaxed again, right? And then you gotta get that ongoing stimulus of my glasses are just enough, strong enough to let me see clearly to my primary distance, and I'm challenging set myself a little bit for blur past that. So that takes a little bit of time, and that's why I usually tell people you're gonna spend a few weeks at least learning the basics. But it boils down to you wearing one pair of glasses that are lower for close-up and another pair of glasses for distance that are slightly under-corrected and you're working on this active focus thing. And if you do that, every three to four months, you're going to need weaker glasses. Like that's really a quarter adopter every three to four months is the norm. So let me just, just as a, as a, just a, a hypothetical, hypothetical type situation, let's say I just had an eye chart that I stuck up on my wall and if I stood you know, 17 feet away, it starts to get blurry. And so I should, I should, I should, you know, you know, if, if I can see it at 16 pretty clear and I step back to 17, 18 feet, it starts to get a little blurry. That's the area that just when it becomes blurry where I need to focus and try to actively bring that into focus and do that repetitively. And then maybe three months later, I can move that distance out to 19, 20 feet and so on and so forth. Is that, is that what I'm kind of understanding this, this, this type of thing? That's exactly right. That's absolutely correct. In practice, I would recommend not doing that with the eye chart too much too long. Like don't turn it into an exercise. Use the eye chart as a reference, right? So you can set yourself up, draw a line on the floor. I'm at 17 feet now. Try to get to 18 feet, but try to get to 18 feet with real outdoor vision. Funky things happen. Like I've had people that, that look at that eye chart for two hours a day. as They're like, they have strong minds and they're willing to put in the exercise time and they get funky side effects after a while. And I can't say why, unfortunately, other than it seems unnatural. And that kind of side effect never happens if you're, if you go outside and you see a license plate and it's blurry and you're clearing it up. So use the eye chart as a reference point, but for your real ongoing activity, try to do it in a, in a normal real world kind of environment. I should also touch on, on how this whole, the mechanism behind this works, right? So because if your ciliary muscle is locked up, which if you're staring at a screen for eight hours, it absolutely is, there's nothing you can do to improve your eyesight. Like as long as that muscle is locked up, you're, that's the first thing you got to fix. So you got to find that reference point. And I always tell people measure the distance to blur, right? Like if you've got a couple of of myopia, you can only see clearly to X distance, measure the distance, get a, a little measuring tape, put it next to your eye, put the other end to the screen and see how far that blur is, right? Like if it's 30 centimeters, then you write that down in a log. Like I'm a huge fan of that kind of stuff because it gives you tangible data. I can see to 30 centimeters, right? Like Sean can, ha- can stand in front of the eye chart 17 feet, have a reference point, right? Now, that distance will decrease if you're locking up your ciliary muscle. So you try to find a time like you went hiking in the woods or you had a relaxing weekend and then you check that eye chart distance, right? Maybe it's 18 feet right now. If tomorrow evening it's 17 in the same lighting conditions, ciliary might be locked up, right? So that's the first thing you've got to kind of self-assess 
is my focus and muscle locked up? And if you go outside for an hour, for in most cases, and you practice a bit of distance vision, then the muscle is no longer locked up, right? So that's number one. Like, can't improve eyesight unless the muscle is, is relaxed. The second part is that eyeball elongation. And this is where the retail optometry profession gets really mad at me because I say that eyeball doesn't just get longer, it also gets shorter. And there's a big difference between, between clinical science, ophthalmology journals, they find on Google Scholar with peer-reviewed studies versus retail optometry. And people, if you're new to this, like if you're listening to this and you're going, maybe Jake's crazy, first look at this whole thing as retail versus science. You're walking into the line shop to sell your glasses, right? Go to Google Scholar. They're going to say, so, and that's, man, it's just kind of a big topic. If you go to Google Scholar, you type in near-induced transient myopia, you're going to see where myopia starts. Clinical science, ophthalmology science, the science of the people that, that sell you glasses clearly says that first myopia is just a muscle spasm, Right. Now, what happens when you put glasses in front of the eyes is the, the light moves back further in the eye. And what the eye does to change its length specifically is use that data, right? So if you put a minus lens in front of the eye, move the light back further in your eye, the, your eyeball has a mechanism built in that responds to this, and it will grow longer. Now, this is not me saying this. Go, if you go to Google Scholar and you type in lens-induced myopia, you're going to get 10,000 plus results for this, for this set of keywords. And that to me is like unbelievable because what it says basically is minus lenses cause progressive myopia. And clinical science has proven this on fish, on birds, on monkeys, on humans. The mechanism that makes your eye grow too long that gives you myopia is the minus lens wear. I'm pausing here for dramatic effect because it's, I mean, it, that's a, it's the difference between a conspiracy theory and going to Google Scholar, typing in lens into myopia and getting 10,000 results that say this treatment causes more of the problem. No question by the very profession that on the retail level sells you glasses. So before you trust me or trust anybody, just you type in lens induced myopia into Google Scholar and then ask your retail optician what causes myopia. And if you get two different answers, you know. So I'm trying to keep this short. Basically, you put on the minus lens in front of the kid's eyes that just has a ciliary spasm. Now the ciliary spasm goes unaddressed. The lights move back further in the eye with the lens, but the eye knows. The eye is like, oh crap, I'm too short. And it will now grow longer by the equivalent of that one diopter glasses. So what happens next year, when the kid goes back to the optometrist, the minus one is now not enough. And if you ever wondered, every, every year or two that you go to the optometrist, it's very likely that you need quote unquote stronger glasses, is because that minus lens is causing your progressive myopia. And it's causing it the most, the worst thing to do is wear the glasses when you're looking up close. If you just went to the optometrist the first time, they gave you that minus one point something, you don't need them for close-up, right? You're still fine with close-up. If you don't take them off in front of the computer, what happens is that those lenses move the light back further in your eye than the light needs to be, right? Because your, your, the, the, the cilium muscle and the lens is already doing that for you. So now the light is too far back in your eye. It's called hyperopic defocus. Also can look that up in Google Scholar. 
that hyper optic to focus, that part where that where you're wearing the lens when you don't need it, is telling your eye like now the light's too far back and the eye knows and it grows longer, right? So that's where your progressive myopia happens. And now you go back to the optometrist two years later, retail, remember, not lens-induced myopia guy. He'll sell you minus 1.5, minus 1.75, minus two. And then you go back two years later and it's up again, and it's up again, it's up again. At a rate of close to one dot a year, especially in young people, right? Where that, that mechanism works till you die, but it's the most pronounced when you're younger. And there's also, there's some genetic markers. There's a genetic component, not to myopia, but to how much your eye wants to respond to that stimulus. In certain Asian populations, they're really predisposed to this. So some Asian, like Singapore has an over 90% incidence rate of myopia in school-aged children. And also on Google Scholar, if you, if you look for genetic markers for myopia, they're not for myopia, they're for the axial length change of your eye. If you put minus lenses in front of your eye, certain populations are more predisposed to the eye elongating quicker and further, right? So your myopia might stop at minus five regardless, but this other kid's myopia will go to minus 15 because that part is, can be genetic where the eye will continue elongating. So to reverse that, and also on my site, I put links to studies that specifically show that your eye also grows shorter because one of the things that drives me completely insane when, that, when, this, when the partially on the right track professionals say, yeah, the eyeball only grows longer. It doesn't. It doesn't grow. It adjusts in length based on the external stimulus. And there's clinical science that shows that this is also true for humans. And in as, there's been recorded data that in as much as one hour, the axial length of your eye can change in humans, not even animal trials. So the thing you need to realize, first big problem is you wear the minus lens when you don't need it during close-up, right? And then the second thing that happens is if you wear a little bit less of that minus, just a little tiny bit less, people make the mistake of wearing too much less, right? You just want to go from the, the optometrist will correct you to, to as high as they can possibly go, like 2015, where you really be fine at 2030 or 2040, where you get a little bit of blur challenge, right? You want to introduce that blur challenge to have your eyeball shorten again. And, that, and, and again, that takes time because it's biology. You can't do that overnight. Like internet, people claim, fix your eyes on a weekend. It's biologically not possible because the axle length changes very slowly. And, 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 sure. Yeah, right. I was going to say, this is just a recurrent theme I've seen over and over again through much of what we do in, in, in medicine in general. It's, it's just a lot of, you know, symptomatic treatment. We don't address kind of causality or root cause for this stuff. And it sounds like this is just the same old song and dance, just the eyeball version of it. But uh, let me ask you, um, time of day, is there, is there, you know, because, you know, it seems like, you know, you wake up in the morning and your vision, because you've been sleeping and you haven't been focusing close, you wake up and, you know, you, you go outside and you can see pretty well. And then maybe later in the day, your eyes are tired. And is there something, is there a diurnal pattern to where this is a, you know, better choices of when to do these exercises or do these blur challenges? Or is there, is there anything to the, to the day-to-day -day variation in that? And then the other part is, you know, you touched on presbyopia, which is, you know, kind of the opposite situation. Can you reverse presbyopia to any extent? Um, so for the first question, the, the idea, the thing that will improve your eyesight is the habit. So what I push the most is 
when you first learn about this and you're excited, you want to build a habit because once you're challenging yourself for blur, once you're always kind of vigilant about this is too sharp right now, I should move back a little bit and challenge myself. You do that all the time, right? Not super consciously, but it just becomes a habit. That's what improves your eyesight because if it's going to take five years, you don't want to do exercises. You just want to kind of be in the habit. Like for people that are the athletes or in the athletic things where you're just used to pushing yourself, it's kind of second nature. But otherwise, you kind of need a month or so to just kind of keep prodding your brain to keep doing it, keep doing it, and it becomes automatic. So time of day, less so. But what you said, when your eyes become tired, if you notice this, you're probably getting too much close-up, right? Like your eyes aren't getting tired. Your eyes are getting tired of all the close-up. So like, for example, my own, me personally, I, I don't really use smartphones for extended periods. Like if I'm going to watch... Netflix or whatever, which I can't in the jungle, but if I were to, I'd pull out my laptop and put that screen at a bigger distance. Because remember, your focusing muscle is going to be less tight the more distance you give your eyes. So the worst thing you can do for your eyes is sit in front of that, that smartphone screen at 20 centimeters, right? So already your eyes shouldn't feel tired at the end of the day. That's, that's the, the first part. And presbyopia isn't, it's not really my area, but the funny thing is, so we've been doing this over a decade and with literally thousands of people, I have not met anybody who's improved the eyesight by a couple of doctors or even gone back to 2020 over this fairly extensive time span who came back to me and said that I have presbyopia. Now this is anecdotal. This is not like some kind of clinical result, but I don't hear of presbyopia in people who've improved their eyesight. Also, I don't see presbyopia here in the jungle, right? Like. That's not a myopia thing. I also don't see people wearing glasses here in the jungle. And just for, because I think it's funny, sometimes I get challenged people's eyesight everywhere, right? Everywhere I go. And the less developed the area is, the better people can see, which kind of just goes back to saying. But here, especially when I see old people, and this is just kind of a terrible hobby of mine, I try to get them, like, can you see, can you thread the needle, right, through the hole? I mean, can you thread the, the, the how do you say that? Like a sewing needle or? Right. Like, can you thread mm -hmm. the little thing through the hole? And they can. Old people still can. And, I, I, and this becomes anecdotal because it's not my main thing. But I'm like, okay, so I haven't met anybody with presbyopia in a place where you can't buy reading glasses. Right? So while this becomes very much not my theme because it's not mainly what I'm getting into, what I found in general is it seems to me that the reading glass thing becomes a dependency if you stop challenging yourself, right? Like, yes, your lens gets hardened. Like that's not, that's, that's biological fact, but how much do you really want to rely on reading glasses versus challenging your eyesight? I don't know, because again, like this is something that I only encounter on the fringes of what we do, but for somebody who has presbyopia, I would, I would caution them from going higher with the lenses if they don't absolutely need to. Right. When you give up on yourself, that's always the issue. Like, oh, I'll just take more of this pill or more of this crutch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like uh, if you don't have the glasses there, then you're kind of forced to try to focus more in order to correct the issue rather than have that, that glasses crutch there. So it would make sense that if it's fixable in any way that the folks without access to the, to the crutch would be the ones that would find it out naturally just because they have to versus the people who wouldn't need to. Yeah. It's, and that's, you know, it's anecdotal. Unlike the myopia part, which I'm pretty insistent on, is 
very well documented the presbyopia thing i like i'm not going to get presbyopia that's what i'm saying like if i start seeing blur up close i'm going to keep challenging my eyes i'm not going to wear plus lenses at the same time i always caution people don't jump into this don't overdo stuff like don't just throw away your glasses don't just start getting half that adopters read first learn and realize that you just want a little bit of challenge right like mm -hmm. a lot of challenge is just strain you just want a little bit yeah, so, you know, eyeball shortens, right? Like that's really the main, the main, main takeaway is one lenses cause myopia, Google scholar lens induced myopia. Anybody who tells you it's not the lenses either doesn't know what they're talking about or they're lying. And then the eyeball length goes both ways. It will elongate and it will also shorten. Jake, this has been really fascinating. And, you know, I'm going to, you know, my challenge for myself this year and I've got enough of them out there, but I'm going to, I'm going to get this 2040 down to, you know, maybe 2030 or 2020, uh, you know, over the year, I'll give myself a year to do that and maybe report back to you. But where can people find out about you? Cause, cause I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are just going to generate some interest just to, you know, you know, learn about this stuff. So where, where, where do people get hold of you from? Sure. The, the best way is to go to our website. It's called endmyopia.org. Uh, from there you can find links to our YouTube channel, which, it's a small YouTube channel, but I try to provide how-to guides also in a visual format and, and audio format so you don't necessarily have to read. And from there, you can also find our Facebook group. We've got like 12,000 or so members right now in a forum. And all the tools, I provide everything you need for free so that you can understand the biology and you can figure out how to get rid of that diopter dependence. And what would you say the, you know, if somebody is, you know, dedicated to doing this, how, how, what percentage of folks tend to have success with this? All of them. That's pretty high. No. That's a good success rate. No. That, that's okay. So that's, of course, that's not true. Uh, it, the, the, the success rate is extremely high for those who stick with it long enough to make the first reduction successfully. Like, what I love about it and what gets me super excited is there's an addictive thing to having made the first reduction. Like you're skeptical, you don't know, and then you go through this whole learning process and then you, you buy your own glasses, which is super empowering when you're no longer necessarily trusting those people, but now you're kind of in a state of doubt. Is this going to work? Is it not? But once you successfully reduce by any amount and can see the same distance clearly with less diopters that does something in people's brains they just go there's something different between me saying it or anybody saying it and you experiencing it firsthand hey this is this is a lower number i can see the same distance it becomes clear in people's mind in some fundamental way that they're not broken and from that point on the large majority of people don't stop because it's not an exercise so you don't have to stick to anything it's a habit by the time you've reduced that habit sticking pretty well, you're enjoying this now. And from that point, there's no additional effort required in keep making those reductions. So if you make it to the first reduction, the, the ongoing success rate is very, very high. Yeah, you know, it's probably one, it seems like it's one of those things where it's like if I decided I wanted to stop running and start weightlifting and I picked so like a, a number, like say I wanted to bench press 300 pounds it's so like if I, for some, if I, if I knew it would take me 10 years to get there and then spent five years and, and quit after that, it wasn't because I wasn't able to, it was because I didn't put in the time and dedication to kind of eventually get there. 
And it's, it seems like there's a lot of that just in general where, you know, when there, when there's things that take a lot of time and a lot, and I wouldn't say a lot of commitment, but you know, a lot of time doing something over and over and over again, you know, the failures tend to be those who don't stick it out the longest, not the ones who stick it out the longest and just don't happen to be able to do it. Yeah. And the biology is the biology. There's really no, I, I put up some troubleshooting videos for people that struggle because especially initially there can be like, you're, you're not paying attention to your, your ciliar muscle locking up, you're overdoing it. You know, you don't have the right habits, but once you do it, it's just, it doesn't require any work. Right. And mm -hmm. there's also something I feel like a lot of people are, when they see that it works on their own, there's a kind of a, a an excitement and an anger at the establishment that sold them this stuff that if you made it from a minus four to a minus 3.5, you're not stopping at the minus 3.5. I mean, at that point you're like, screw all of you guys. I'm getting rid of this mm -hmm. because now you already did. You already started successfully and you're not forced to do any exercises. So, you know, up to the one caveat here is the last diopter. Once you're at that 2040 where you're at, that's a challenging one. And I have a separate, uh, a separate special section in the block just for low myopia because it takes a couple extra tricks, right? Because now you're at a point where you don't really need glasses and it's easy to forget the stimulus, but you can still get rid of the last opter as well. Like there's no, there's no reason for anybody to have myopia basically. All right, well, I'm motivated. Jake, thank you for running through the jungles of Burma at five o'clock in the morning to be with us, man. That's, that's uh, wonderful. And I, and I know our audience is going to be uh, thrilled with this one. Uh, you know, just anything else you want us to know about? Oh, I think that's, that's really the main thing is like, if you don't want to buy glasses, you're not broken. Your eyes aren't broken. That's really the main thing. It's a good message. Yeah. Zach, I, know you, I know Zach, you got to get out of here. I know it's, but, uh, but go ahead, Zach. Cool. No. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Jake. This has been cool. I, I wouldn't have thought I would have walked away with a, a goal in mind in terms of focusing more, but you have already been doing it during the, during the podcast. So no, this has been awesome. Uh, and did, if you have any place you want uh, listeners to go check stuff out, I know you list the website and stuff. Um, if there's anything else, shoot me a note. We can put them on the show notes as well. Perfect. Sounds good. It's awesome. I really appreciate it, you guys. Thanks for making time for me later in your day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.